Hello, this is not Richard Dreyfus, but that doesn't mean you shouldn't listen to the 430 Movie Podcast at 430movie.com. If you want some great swag from the Inglorious Trexperts podcast, including a lot of fun t-shirts and all that sort of stuff, visit us at ingloriousTrexperts.com. You can find all that stuff, and you can listen to the podcast while you're there. Electric Now? What does that mean? It means that you can watch us do these wonderful podcasts and so many other things, too. Hey, uh, Darren. Yes. When I was a kid, I used to love the electric company. You know why? Because I knew one day Morgan Freeman would be a great actor. But <laughs> if there's one thing I love about electricity that's even better than Schoolhouse Rock and the electric company, it's the Electric Now channel. But also, they're turning it on and bringing the power. Yes, they are. <laughs> and we're turning you on. And No, no, no. no, no that's a highly inappropriate. All. Okay, well, we are turning on the power here at Electric Surge, where you may have, for the last year or so, been enjoying these amazing audio podcasts like Inglorious Trexperts, The 430 Movie, Best Movies Never Made. Now you, you can watch You them. ain't seen nothing yet, no, but you now you can. <laughs> you can on Electric Now, available on Stir TV and Distro TV, which you can download from your favorite app store, and soon coming to the Electric Now app. Get to see us as you've never seen us before, <laughs> because you've only seen us in the theater of the imagination. Now we're going to be on your tablet, on your telephone, on your TV, and in your house. With <laughs> the call is coming from inside the house. So make sure to check out Electric Now. Streaming now on Stir TV and Distro TV and coming soon to the Electric Now app. And welcome back to Best Movies Never Made, the podcast where we explore interesting and infamous movies that never made it to or through production. As always, I am your co-host, Josh Miller, and with me, also as always, is Mr. Steven Scarlatta. How are you doing today? I'm pretty good. How about yourself? Beautiful. Uh, today we have an interesting first first installment of a three-part series of episodes on the Super Mario Brothers movie, which you might immediately say, but hey, that's a movie that did get made. But we're going to be talking about a wildly different initial script, and then really, I guess I'll just cut to the chase. This was all a big excuse for me to talk about the new Sonic the Hedgehog movie, which if listeners, thank you, thank you. That is our producer, Mark Altman, in the back, applauding, which I'm sure you couldn't hear. Um, but if you didn't know, uh, I co-wrote the Sonic the Hedgehog movie along with my writing partner, Mr. Patrick Casey, who is one of our guests. Hello, everyone. Uh, and we decided, why not have a full-on Sonic versus Mario? So <laughs> our other guest is Mr. Alan Denton. Hey. Um, I'm also a Sonic guy, so it's not really a fair fight here. Yeah, well, uh, screw it. Yeah. <laughs> no one hired us to write a Mario movie. Yeah. So <laughs> I want you to tell um, listeners, I guess, also just so they can differentiate your voices, like, what is your relationship to Mr. Sonic the Hedgehog? Uh, most prominently, I worked on a television show, a cartoon on Cartoon Network called Sonic Boom that ran for two seasons. Uh, I was a staff writer, story editor on on that show. Um, 
which then has been like since memed to hell. And that's sort of my claim to fame is I've brought I've brought the the jokes that then the Internet has run with to to Twitter. And you say it's two seasons, but they were two like extremely humongous seasons. Two right? 52 episode seasons. Yeah. Jeez. And at least you you spawned intentional joke memes, whereas we spawned an unintentional <laughs> series of memes. Well, yeah. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, the the trick with that stuff was uh, like because there's 52 episodes a season. I just would put one joke per episode on Twitter, just the best one, and then people started assuming that like that A plus material I was showing was all of the show. You know, so then you know like 20, 30 of these get shared around, and people are going, "Holy crap! I gotta watch Sonic Boom. The writing looks amazing." And it's like <laughs> it's like one good joke per episode. Hey. That's uh, all you need. It's what I can do. <laughs> well, uh, just, uh, I guess, to clue people in, because one of the first things we discovered once we were hired to do the Sonic movie, talking to other people, was the idea, that in most people's minds, Sonic the Hedgehog, they stopped making games and TV shows in, like, the mid-90s, which is yeah. not true. It just yeah. keeps going. Uh, and Sonic Boom's kind of its own contained thing. Sure. How would you say that that is different than the rest of the franchise. Well, uh, how is it different? I mean, it, it was explained right from the start that it was a separate reality that did not uh, did not affect any of the other Sonic universe. Uh, and so, you know, and the, there was a, to get that across, they did a whole redesign of the characters, which the internet had a lot of thoughts about that. But I'm sure you guys wouldn't know anything about yeah. stuff like that. <laughs> uh, it turns out, their reaction was very mild, yeah. uh, as I've come to learn. You guys got lucky. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so it, it was just sort of like our trick was like we kind of played around in the sandbox of original characters as much as we could and just like made whole new people because then we didn't have to deal with backstory and, uh, you know, and affecting their you – because know, like, we could never contradict any any rules or backstory, but we also like didn't want to talk about backstory either because it was like this weird alternate universe so we we sort of just ignored as much as we could and just made small stories you know that were kind of silly and farcical and stuff that nobody would get mad at us about i hope anyway <laughs> yeah so it was just like a sandbox of you know sitcom style stories or something was was our i don't know our method to to navigating that well, now it's done, so you've already offended everyone yeah. you were yeah. going to offend. Um, but then, uh, kind of as this relates to the topic at hand and why, Stephen, I thought uh, this kind of made sense for our podcast and something we haven't quite done before is we've done things like they made a Spider-Man movie, um, but it was a completely different creative team that had been trying to make the other Spider-Man mm -hmm. movies that we talked about. This is different in that the producers who were hired to make the Mario movie are the ones who made the movie that came out and for better or worse is what it is. How do you guys feel about it, by the way? Um, I remember I, I hated the Mario movie when I saw it when it was new and then I didn't watch it again until last week. And watching it now, I was like, at first I was kind of like, hey, you know what? This isn't so bad. And then as it kept going, I was like, no, wait, it is. <laughs> um... And then by the time it, we really got to the third act, I was like, wow, I am ready for this movie to be over. Yeah, uh, yeah I, uh, well, confession, I had never seen the Super Mario Brothers movie until last night. Uh, it is dreadful. 
Um, I think I think that the biggest sin of it isn't even that it's like bad. It's like their their decisions are so bafflingly wrong, constantly in every direction to the point where like. Luigi's not wearing green for the vast majority of the movie. They spend almost the whole movie not wearing their correct <laughs> colors. Like, you know, when they're wearing suits, Luigi's wearing a red suit. And Mario's, and Mario's yellow. Yeah, like, yeah. why? So, like, <laughs> it, it was just sort of confusing, you know, like, the Goombas are, like, these tall, eight-foot-tall lizard creatures. A Goomba with tiny heads. A Goomba is a giant head, tiny body. Like, they just went opposite of every decision you would think would be natural to make. And then on top of that, it's completely unintelligible from a plot perspective. Well, and looping back, that is how why we thought this is actually an interesting thing to do for this podcast is kind of talking about the process of making these movies and how... We did an episode of... Uh, with um, William Malone, we talked about a movie he was going to do with H.R. Giger called Dead Star that eventually became the James Spader movie Supernova. So it technically got made, but bears no resemblance. Mm -hmm. This is even different because we're going to kind of track the weird process that led to the Mario movie, um, which really, to be honest, was kind of never going in the right direction, pretty much from <laughs> script number two. Uh, but it just seemed like a novel thing for us to experiment here. And Steve, what did you think of the Mario movie? Keeping oh, on that line of thought. Oh, um, I you do know, wanna... yeah, I, uh, I, I hate to be negative too because I know the movie has a lot of fans. That's what I was gonna say. It's it's I, developed ooh, a cult. Hate to, hate to... Well, my friend Henry yeah. is gonna be very upset about this <laughs> yeah, well, whole uh, episode because he loves that movie. So no, I could see why people would eye. like it. But I, but I mirror what your what your writing partner says, where which is that. When I started rewatching it, I was really enjoying maybe the first half, and I was like, you know, this isn't bad as I remember. I'm really digging this, and then, man, it took me like two more nights to finish it after that. After that, first it show, just keeps it was going. Like when yeah. Dennis Hopper first shows up, you're like, oh yeah, Dennis Hopper, this is fun, um, but the fun really wears off. I mean, the yeah. thing I'll say about the movie is it's insane. Yes, like, you yes. can't. Which you, is what the people who like it yes, like about you it. You can't take that away from the movie. <laughs> yeah. They they may have made a movie that's not great in a lot of ways, but you can't say that they weren't going for yeah, something. Oh it's, oh, it's confidently bad. Yeah. It, mm -hmm. well, it's, it's just insane it is. And the effects are actually good, especially for the time period. We were talking yeah. about, the, Pat and I were talking about in the car, uh, that it, it definitely has a sign of the times with its like bad, misused CG. But like but the Yoshi dinosaur. Like he doesn't oh, yeah. look like Yoshi, but he is like a great dinosaur puppet. I was like, oh, this, this awesome. thing looks yeah. awesome. And the Goombas, again, don't look like little mushroom creatures, but it's an interesting yeah. Well, that's, that's a baffling thing is you can see money being spent. Oh, a lot mm. of money. In an, mm. You know, crazily and, and confidently, they've got a whole visual style going. It's just completely unappealing. And, like, they've forgotten that the only people who will want to see this movie are nine years old. Yeah, plus it's like it's $42 million in 92 they're making it. That's it. Really expensive back then, you well, know. Yeah. Like, what would that be in in compared to today's budgets? Well, so what year was this? They started in 92. like ninety. They were shooting in ninety two, and it was least. forty some million. And I remember as a kid, you know, I didn't get a lot of behind the scenes glimpses at movie making, but I remember seeing that Who Framed Roger Rabbit, which was eighty eight, eighty nine. That was like mm -hmm. the most expensive movie ever made at that point in time, and that was like. Really? 
42 million. Oh so granted, God. this was a few years later. But like but Jurassic Park was in 94, and I think that was like the first 100 million. Well, it came budget. out the same summer. And actually, no, I don't even know if it's. Oh, I wish I had it in front of me because I think. It's only shy like fifteen million. This compared to Jurassic Park, I believe. I could be what? Wrong. Yeah, let me. Oh my god! <laughs> well, it's a very expensive <laughs> yeah, movie. It came oh, out the Lord. same. It came out the same sum. It was a weird dinosaur summer with. Well, uh, if you want to look that up, I can start laying the groundwork. I'm just gonna. I assume everybody knows Mario listening, but maybe they don't quite remember the full-on timeline. So just kind of leading into things here. So. I guess for those who don't know, Mario initially appeared in the Donkey Kong game in 1981, and his name was not Mario. His name was Jumpman, because he jumped. (laughs) (laughs) And that was the level of thought that went into naming these characters back then. Um, Fun fact, he was named Mario after a guy named Mario who was the landlord of the building that Nintendo of America was in. And he would, you know, come by and yell at them about the rent. Wait, Um, they they didn't like him? Like, they, they get, named it after him? Cause... I'm assuming, like, I don't even think this guy was Italian, um, <laughs> but I feel like they just, something about him. I looked him up. He doesn't look anything like Mario. At least he didn't have a mustache in the picture I found of him online. Yeah. Um, but nonetheless, that's where the name Mario came from. Oh. I mean, they um, just liked his name. Yeah, I guess. Uh, do you need anything, a better reason than that? I mean, I don't even know how much he was supposed to be, like, Italian initially. I don't know if he's canonically Italian now. Like, I remember reading some <laughs> article about how, like, Nintendo has never said he's a plumber. Everyone just assumed well, he's I was a plumber. Gonna, yeah. Wait, yeah. Nintendo's never said he's a plumber? Yeah. What do you mean they've never? <laughs> they must have. I mean, they did in this movie, I guess. But I think in the games, like, we all just assumed he's a plumber because there are so many pipes everywhere. Well, I guess I was going to say, like, there's nothing You're- about plumbing and Donkey Kong, but then there was the game Mario Brothers, which came out in yeah. 1983. Where things come out of pipes on yeah, the side of the screen. Yeah. You're telling me I there believe. was never a booklet that came with the first game that said, Mario and Luigi are plumbers, and they're going into to Mushroom Kingdom. That's that They didn't say that? I believe that's the case, but I can't really <laughs> okay. say that super confidently. Okay. I am not an expert, but I think I read an article about that on like Kotaku or something. Oh, yeah. But the yeah. imagery began. <laughs> yeah, yeah, of pipes. pipes. So by uh, the way, $63 million, according to Google, is what it costs to make Jurassic wow. Park. And then this was $42 million. Oh, no. Oh. And it's y- just hubris. And it came out a week after Connoisseur and then a month before Jurassic Park, Super Mario. So. Carnosaur <laughs> came out before Jurassic Park? <laughs> yes, it did. Right. Jurassic Corman Park was where? just a, just a yeah. rip-off. That was well. Corman, man. I actually worked on Connoisseur 3, which was what? a trip. Yeah. You know, on Thanksgiving Day, I was watching Scott <laughs> Valentine from Family Ties chase a raptor on a boat with a axe, cutting off its tail. It was very You've strange. lived a life, Steve. Yeah, I did. <laughs> um, anyway. <laughs> All right, so Mario Brothers was 1983. By the way, these are the North American dates because these always yeah. usually came out yeah. like a year, if not a more, earlier in Japan. The first full-on Super Mario Brothers was 1985, the classic NES game. Super Mario 2 was 1988. Super Mario 3 was 1990. And Super Mario World was 91. So really, like, I feel like between Mario 3 and Super Mario World is kind of where this movie was coming from and started to happen. It's also around this time, if you recall, was the Fred Savage classic, The Wizard. Oh, yeah. mm. 
Which um, featured Super Mario 3 was the yes. big game, That was like right? the big build-up. It was like a, they got people to buy tickets by saying you'll see clips of yep. the new Super Mario Brothers And game. reveal where you can find the oh, yeah. warp whistle, yeah. well, that's which such the a, kid just instinctively just, knows where it is. Oh, yeah, so maybe I'll fly games. up there. Yeah. Well, and this is relevant to here. So uh, a lot of people have always assumed that that was a Nintendo movie, that this was one big ad. But it yeah. wasn't that whatever studio made it, uh, Universal maybe, mm-hmm. they licensed, they paid Nintendo like $100,000. They paid Nintendo to make yeah. a big commercial for them? Yep. yep. I'm oh, sure they man. made a deal about like Mario 3 and what they were doing with it, but it was a movie where Nintendo really didn't have that much control. Because I don't yeah. think they like thought about the ramifications um, it's but, just the studio wanted. Yeah. They were like, "Video games are popular. We got to make a movie about this, right?" Mm-hmm. Yeah, but as is relevant, when that movie came out and did not make money, and everyone made fun of it, then Nintendo was started to care. Yeah. Um, in particular, a guy named Bill White, who was the director of marketing for Nintendo of America, um, he really wanted like a good Nintendo movie. And obviously, if you were going to make a Nintendo movie Ugh. in 1990, you were going to make a Super Mario movie. Um, but as far as like talking about like yeah, they never really said they were Italian. I mean, their names are Mario and Luigi. Um, I guess so. It was they, implied they maybe yeah. didn't say they were plumbers. But I, a lot of this, I imagine, is coming from the Super Mario Brothers TV show. Uh, by the way, I didn't even realize I was looking up to get some like info on the Super Mario's TV show. There was like three Mario cartoons all around the same time. There was the Super Mario Brothers Super Show, which That's starred the one I watched. Captain Lou Albano. And That's had the, the one we all remember. The, when they mm-hmm. added lyrics to the Mario music. <laughs> yeah. Swing <laughs> your arms from, from side, side to side. The Mario. Um, but then there was also The Adventures of Super Mario Brothers 3, what? <laughs> Not a great title. They really <laughs> wanted to build off that Super Mario 3 uh, popularity, but I don't think it works when you do it in a show title. And then Super Mario World, uh, which was 1991. Were those like on Saturday morning, you think? I only remember the Captain Lou Albano one. Yeah. Like I watched like clips of the other ones and I'm just like, nope, but. <laughs> no memory whatsoever. No, and then, like, I'm trying to think of, like, when was the first time we even heard Mario talk in the games? Was that Mario uh, 64? Yep, it was 64 for me. Yeah. yeah. And granted, that came Which out- Which he never really, like, says a sentence, but he would, you know, make his Mario noises, right? Well, well he does. He says, thank you so much for playing my game, if you beat the game. He, he, really? He gives you a full sentence there. Um Yeah, I mean, he there, there's let's go and yeah. uh, just woo, Yahoo. Woo. And, yeah. Yeah. But- And I guess that came out after the movie, but it's definitely interesting in all of these attempts at the movie and the one they made that they really decided that Mario was this like kind of gruff, like surly jerk. (laughs) <laughs> um, when in the games he's just like but even like before he talked uh, with like him on the cover he's always like gleefully smiling like a maniac <laughs> while leaping through the air <laughs> so if you had asked me to describe Mario's personality I would have said uh, he's like upbeat He's always smiling. Well, you yeah. did kidnap the freaking ape, right? And Junior, Donkey Kong Junior, you had him in a cage. That's true. He was, the bad, he was a bad guy for a Villainous chair. Yeah. I mean, so. that just feels well, out of kind of about Donkey Kong, <laughs> Kong it's slightly out of order, but I'm now just remembering that Donkey Kong, I think, was originally supposed to be a licensed Popeye game, and yes, they like, lost the, the license <laughs> and changed it to Donkey Kong and Mario. 
Really? Or Jumpman. Yeah. yeah. I guess you're right. Oh, it's supposed to be Bluto up there. Yeah. Board. Capturing think, olive oil. You, you're, you, when you're talking about Donkey Kong Jr., though, you're bringing, you have to have it in context of the events of Donkey Kong, which was Donkey Kong himself is throwing barrels everywhere, mm-hmm. and Mario's the guy who contained him, you know? Yeah. And then, so, like, he's not a bad guy, but then, you you know, you look at it from Junior's perspective. Yeah. <laughs> Poor kid. But, but you have to have that whole portrait back. painted It's in complex. Your head. <laughs> yeah, it is. I always liked part three with the little dude with the Insects. I, I never understood that one. I loved it. I don't know. I was like the only one. All right, one. on topic, you guys. Okay, exactly. <laughs> All right, let's do it. All um, right. So. so leading into the movie, I mean, yeah, Steve, do you have kind of roll up to like... Yeah, I, um, yeah. so in the first sign I could find of a Super Mario Brothers movie being announced was in April 14th, 1989. Uh, the company DIC that was putting out... Deke. Yes. The, They're the, Canadian company, right? Yeah, they're the ones who put out the show you guys were just talking about, the Lou Albano show. And so it was an announcement that the Super Mario Bros. will star will be the stars of a new full-length feature film to be produced by DIC Entertainment. The comedy adventure is slated for summer 1990. And so, um, and then the president of DIC said, even if you've never heard of Nintendo, the movie and the series can be enjoyed. While we will be looking to duplicate the broad appeal of the game and its characters, we'll be making a movie that is fun, hip, and slightly irre- irrelevant. Irreverent. <laughs> irreverent. <laughs> Sorry, not irreverent. Like, was this My to be live move. action? Yes. Although, if yeah. that if that is what he said, he was right. Irreverent. <laughs> um, <laughs> it so has proven it, itself massively irrelevant. Yeah. <laughs> yes, and then that December, The Wizard came out and made $14 million, and, and as... Josh explained that Universal, you know, only had only li- was paid a uh, hundred thousand dollars for the property, and so I think they learned from that. Uh, well, I'll get to that in one second, and then the the next the next time it's announced is May fifth, nineteen ninety, where it says Dustin Hoffman has been in the pursuit of screen rights to Nintendo Inc.'s popular Mario Brothers. Hoffman intends to film the adventures of the two Workman brothers who constantly find themselves in perilous situations with himself and Danny DeVito as stars. Pending, you know, okay. pending so I wonder the which was which in okay. that. Let's yeah. check this which. out. So, Come on. Pen, okay. I mean, he'd have to be Luigi, yes. but yeah, so he it was, doesn't seem like Danny Hoffman DeVito's made gonna a, be Luigi. to not want to be the star. Luigi didn't become taller than Mario until... Yeah. Or no, Mario just in Super Mario yeah, 2, Mario I guess. Too. Instantly he was taller, yeah. Yeah, and so here's the weird thing was that uh, Hoffman intends to team with producer-director Barry Levinson. And so so three months later is when we get the announcement that that film rights to Nintendo Super Mario Brothers has gone to Jake Eberts. And so let me rewind back for a second now. And so according to Console Wars, throughout 1990, several movie studios made pitches to Nintendo with story ideas, production budgets, and potential talent for the feature film. And so um, the suitors each made multi-million dollar offers, but as Nintendo had heard, had learned with The Wizard, the money came with strings attached. And this time, Nintendo cared less about the money and more about controlling those strings, which led them to bypass the movie studios in favor of a pair of independent filmmakers, Jake Eberts, who executive produced Chariots of Fire and Dances with Wolves, and Roland Joffrey, who directed The Killing Fields and The Mission. 
So Nintendo's president was impressed with their pitch and thought that perhaps a more serious film can attract an even larger audience. Yeah, like Oscar bait drama so when, yeah, version yeah, of yeah. Super Mario. When I think Super Mario, I think the killing fields. <laughs> In the mission. So um, it, it also didn't hurt that Eberts and Jaffe offered a creative partnership allowing Nintendo to, re- to retain merch- merchandising oh, rights. And so Joffrey then said, we fought very... Joffe. I'm going to say it wrong all the time. (laughs) We fought very hard to get this project. There were a lot of contenders, but none had what Nintendo considered a viable solution to the absence of a plot. You know, and so I... Wait, what, what did that sentence mean? A valuable solution to the or absence. a viable solution. A to viable, the a viable solution to the absence of a plot. Oh, because oh, there's no plot in the games. Yes. I guess is what they mean. Well, well there is a plot. There's just not a lot of a plot. lot. Yeah, yeah. So. Which is, I mean, something we even ran into on Sonic. Because even though there's yeah. all this extra oh, yeah. source material, I think. A, People maybe don't even understand the people who own the rights to make the movie for Sonic don't necessarily own the rights to all the comic books and all the video games. So if you just look at the first game of Sonic, there really isn't a story other than Robotnik is bad and Sonic wants to defeat him. Yeah, Yeah, at least Mario has to rescue a princess. (laughs) 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 Yeah, yeah, there's the animals. When I first got the job, I went and dug out like my old uh, Sonic game and I was like I'll play it and try and pay attention and and I was like you just go right until it's done there's no story here yeah there's no lines of dialogue whatsoever yeah in- he's always just sort of chilling out and then a guy comes and like r- ruins his good time and then he's got to <laughs> run to the right to get back at him yeah like the first Mario game, that's the one where "Sorry, your princess is in another castle" yeah. is yeah. from, right? So it had like written dialogue text, but like only that, right? Mm-hmm. Beginning much. of the game, there's nothing about the princess being kidnapped. You're just running to the right, and you realize she's kidnapped, even, and you get to the castle, and she's not there. To the first game, no, it just starts off. You just no. begin, and then you walk out on screen, and you're yeah. like, "Oh, here I am." Yeah. Yeah. Really, he should have had amnesia in the movies, and so. Uh, <laughs> He's just like, where am I? Well, I better start stomping on the wildlife and <laughs> punching bricks. Yeah, so they ended up paying $2 million, um, Jaffe and Eberts, for Super Mario Brothers. And, that's a good deal. And basically yeah. agreeing to let Nintendo tell them what to do. Like, that that's really what Nintendo was getting out of them as yeah, opposed but, to from the studios. But they really didn't do anything, to be honest. I mean, look what happened. Yeah. <laughs> they well, really, it like, didn't really... I mean, well, we'll, we'll go through. The Super Mario little, movie so. makes a little bit more sense if we remind ourselves that two of the biggest, like, family movie or all audience hits at the time were... Tim Burton's Batman mm-hmm. and the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle movie. Sure. So yeah. I'm sure that th- I'm, they must have been like, oh, we need to make it like those are kind of like gritty and dark yeah. and, you know. Pretty much. Because otherwise, again, I don't know. Like, again, with like Sonic, because we weren't really instructed specifically to be looking at the comics or TV shows, it was kind of in the game. It's like, well, what do you see from Sonic? It's, well, he gets like impatient if you sit there with your controller. Yeah. Uh, you know, and he's always smirking, like he's got like attitude. So, again, I would have said Mario is just kind of this grinning idiot based <laughs> on what we are seeing purely in video game cover uh, pictures. Yeah, grinning idiot with a great vertical jump. Yeah. He just he seemed like a real optimistic <laughs> guy. Um, yeah. And then um, September 1990, it was officially announced that the rights have gone to Jake Eberts. And. They are moving ahead to start a production in late 1991. Danny DeVito will play one of the video workmen, and discussions are on their way with Penny Marshall to direct. 
And that was okay. in And then a couple of months later, Danny DeVito will now delay directing Hoffa until October uh, so Nicholson could star opposite Meryl Streep in Man Trouble. I don't know Trouble. which was a better choice on <laughs> that one because Hoffa is no, not a good movie. No. And, um, and also pushback is Super Mario Brothers. De- DeVito will star in For Jake Ebert from a script by o- Oscar winner Barry Morrow who wrote Rain Man, who won an... O- yeah. Wait, wait, the writer of Rain Man wrote the first treatment. One thing I think it should be clarified, though, because I feel like if you're ever looking up things about the Super Mario movie, this is always the thing that gets mentioned because it sounds so funny. Mm-hmm. But two things. One, Barry Morrow, who was a writer, he has an Oscar for best screenplay, yeah. but like he was best known before Rain Man. Do you remember that Mickey Rooney movie, Bill? It was like a TV movie. I have no it's memory of this. very awkward to watch now, but at the time it was very highly <laughs> regarded where... Mickey Rooney is playing this like elderly, mentally challenged guy who meets Barry Morrow, I think played maybe by Dennis Quaid. I don't quite remember. Um, but basically, Barry Morrow was like a guy who wanted to be a writer. And this that was like his real life. He met and befriended and like became kind of the guardian of this like mentally challenged elderly guy, sold the rights to like CBS or somebody. Big, huge TV movie hit. Mickey Rooney wins, like, Emmys and Golden Globes. They did a follow-up movie. And then he met a guy with... I think I've read about it. I don't think he technically had autism, but at the time it was people knew a little about autism. But he basically met Rain Man in real life. That was a oh. real guy. And so then he wrote another movie about his experiences with this guy. I'm assuming the movie was okay. They hired uh, Ronald Bass, who's like was this big superstar ah. writer, who's possibly best known because he had like a team of female assistants who helped him write all his scripts. So he was what? always writing like eight oh, movies. And was, look up Ronald Bass. Interesting story. Hmm. Um, but so they share screen credits. I'm assuming he. This is an interesting story. They hired Ronald Bass oh, yeah. to like turn it into a movie. Okay. They both win Oscars. So to me, it's funny though that Barry Morrow is the one of those two that they're like, let's get him to do our Mario movie. This guy who only seems to make stories based on his true life experiences, yeah. befriending like people with mental disabilities yeah, who just options things that happen to him yeah <laughs> um but uh we go on Steve. <laughs> um yeah so morrow pretty much he never finished the script because um, I, I, I think he just went in with his idea <laughs> yeah and I wrote on a quote, yeah, like Rain Man, Morrow's vision centered around the complexity of bro- brotherly relationships and even mimicked the relationship between, between Tom Cruise and Dustin Hoffman's characters in Rain Man, with Mario serving as something of a heroic guardian to his lower-functioning younger brother, Luigi. People okay. on the project... Was there a treatment of this? I think he it's... just pitched it, is my well, guess. He he claims that... Oh, um, Morrow, he, claims? Morrow I f- he said, I didn't even finish the script. I had the last scene I was working on when the courier arrived and said, I've been told to take it whether you're finished or not. Ooh. Oh. And so... Also, Sounds like it went really well. <laughs> yeah, well, Morrow, I mean, according to him, Morrow envisioned the movie to be an origin story, an on... An on and um, at the end of the movie, you will learn why the brothers became super. You know, the, the story the, hinged... it ends with them overdosing on mushrooms. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So the story hinged on our ring getting lost in a drain, and that's what led Mario and Luigi into the plumbing world. Well, and, so... and well, that's funny because that's kind of an element 
in some ways sort of carries through, but uh, people on the production were referring to it as Drain Man because of its similarities to Rain Man. My, my uh, assumption is that while he was writing it, everyone was slowly like, what are we doing? Yeah. Like, <laughs> Well, like according to Morrow, Joffe was into the idea, but his producing partner Eberts wasn't. And so he was then eventually scuttered, scuttled, as he put it. And so that was that's pretty much with that version, and it's I can't find it anywhere. But I wish some I of could. that carries through to this first script a little bit, a little yeah. bit. Yeah, he gets mentioned. I mean, even if you read articles from when the New York Times and the Los Angeles Times wrote about this movie, his name is always brought up mm-hmm. constantly. So his name did stick around throughout the whole. It would production. be interesting to see what actually is in that script and how much like mm-hmm. Rain Man it really was. Um, but at the same time, it's like, because there's a part of me that's just like, that can't be true. What sort of maniac would think the world wanted a Super Mario movie in which Luigi had like mental, like a mental well, handicap? Luigi's and- not 100% capable <laughs> of a of a hu- being a human being in this script. I guess that, that makes read. actually mm-hmm. the takes on some of these scripts make a little more yeah. sense because Luigi does some stupid stuff in the I mean, I, script if, we're about to read. If I'm trying to pull something, I would say maybe like you give your little brother Luigi and like, you know, that's always like a, a three-year-old who sucks. <laughs> you give it to and your, your mm-hmm. not fully functioning yeah, little brother. Yeah, and they just kind of run off the screen. And then and, you get to play again real fast. You know, <laughs> so like maybe it was based on that a little bit that like <laughs> when the, the, the younger sibling playing Luigi just like acts like they, they don't have all of their faculties yet. <laughs> it all fits together. Yeah. <laughs> And so, I mean, I guess, you know, we're, we'll move into Greg Beeman's tra- draft. So um, so in 91, they hired a director named Greg Beeman, who directed a movie called License to Drive. Wait, the, the, the Corey Feldman and Corey yes. Hand? Dude, I loved that movie when I was a kid. It was, yeah, I did I, too. I loved it. I saw that. And the super young Heather Graham as yes. Mercedes. I saw Phantasm 2 and that the same day in the theater. I'll never forget that. <laughs> but yeah, I was a big fan. Um, and so, yeah, so Greg Beeman was hired to direct, and they got uh, two new screenwriters, Jim Genowin and Thomas S. Parker, who at the time were known for selling a script called Stay Tuned, which eventually came out with John Ritter. And they sold that to Morgan Creek for $750,000. It was a classic case of huge bidding war for then a movie that tanked yeah. horribly. Yeah, where they get yeah. trapped inside the TV. I mean, it's it's like sort of a horror idea. comedy, right? Yeah. yeah. Jeffrey Jones is the devil. Wait, is he the devil? I haven't seen it in forever, to be honest. It was like Gene Levy. Either the devil or something like the devil, the TV devil. I just meant he's the bad guy, and then John Ritter is the yeah John Ritter part of the couple. I have not seen this movie. And the girl, I think the girl from I've never heard of this movie. You should at least watch the trailer on YouTube. It's it's a wacky. I liked it when I was a kid. So what? They're like lost in the TV channels or something. Yeah, it's like as the channels change, like now they're on like a aerobic show, and now they're on whatever you know, like the ending. Chase scene and shocker. But I haven't seen more it as a kid though. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like a comedic. good episode of Animaniacs. Yeah. Yeah. And so um, I guess that will bring us up to the script so we can yeah, just start let's getting dive into right it. In. So, just for listeners, three part episode here. Um, this is the one that most feels like an unmade movie. Because once we get past this, it kind of just becomes riffs and variations on the movie we did see. Where this one was going for a full on different idea that I would say is more faithful 
to what you, I think, would expect. I mean, from I a feel Mario. like this is the movie that all the kids wanted to see. Basically, I, like it's I not agree. perfect, but this is this is this is what you wanted the Mario movie to be, yeah. pretty much. And this I is uh, this draft is uh, from July seventeenth, nineteen ninety one. Uh, again, it's by Thomas Parker and Jim Genuine. Genuine. Yeah, Genuine. Yeah. Genuine. Yeah, it, it Genuine. feels like like the, the easiest script to write. Which is just like take all the things from the game and make them make them real, and he's just running through stuff. Yeah. Like <laughs> feels um, feels like the movie. Yeah, like anybody would want if you're a, a six year old playing the video games. And uh, we can kind of loop back to this a little bit once we're done with the script. But it, what it, what really comes to mind reading through this and knowing what came after is all the details that stayed with the movie through its finished product, yet these guys don't get any story by credit, which makes me wonder Uh if they were like, no. Yeah, or like when it got to like credit arbitration, they like wrote the letter about why they shouldn't get credit. Uh, (laughs) Well, as we just learned, uh, Sonic was by far our biggest uh, writing arbitration we went through and that is basically the studio submits to the WGA what they think the writing credits are. But they also don't think very hard about it I but think then before they submit. anyone who worked on the movie can then if they didn't get credit can be like I want to fight for credit and then the WGA reads all the material and makes yeah, a decision. You hire but, lawyers and stuff to but argue point being, for you. You don't have to hire lawyers. Yeah, <laughs> the, the, the guild encourages you not to. They're oh, really? like that that's a scam. Yeah, we didn't hire anyone yeah, just, for Sonic. Yeah. Uh we felt it was a pretty open and shut case and we're proven correct. Mm. Right. Um but go, point go being Go see Sonic February 14th. Um but <laughs> if uh if the studio on this had not included Parker and Genoan and story credit, I have a feeling that they were like, should we arbitrate this? And both of them were just like, no. Especially by this point, though. This was like... Yeah, because they also send everyone a copy of the final script to look at. Also, as Steve will get to Uh, once we get past this, this, uh, as much as any movie ever is, became very well known. What a disaster it was turning out to be. Oh, in production? In in production and pre-production, because they are constantly firing and hiring writers and... Uh, but we'll get to that. Let, let's let's mm-hmm. jump right into this. Um, I'm going to read the very beginning here, just so people can see how much this ultimately stayed true uh, to the movie we saw. So let's see here. Fade in on rain, pouring in sheets. Uh, you guys aren't in this, so don't worry about it. Um, right. <laughs> pouring in sheets in black and white, pelting sidewalks, rooftops. A uh, man... St- A man's stooped figure shuffles quickly along the dark, deserted street. Lightning strikes, and we see his face, darting darting frightened looks behind him. He is old, white-haired, a loyal servant to kings. He hurries across the street and on the brick steps of an old Gothic church in the heart of the city. Super, or superimposed, Brooklyn, New York, 20 years ago. Now we sense the purpose of his mission, for he is clutching an infant, swaddled and bunting. He looks around furtively, then kneeling, sets the child to rest in front of the church doors. He takes something a glistening, takes something glistening red from his coat pocket. It's a mushroom-shaped locket on a gold chain. The locket has a large ruby on its front. He wades up and carefully tucks it inside the blanket, and we see a beautiful face of a baby girl. Uh, and then it's all just basically like the opening of the movie that got yeah. made where he knocks and he runs away. Mm-hmm. The nuns find Although the in baby. the movie, right, it's like an egg that yeah. cracks open and the mm-hmm. baby's inside. And but we'll, other than that, it's identical. And yeah. we'll see that yeah. in upcoming scripts. But the same thing, he runs away. Uh, he encounters here. It's just referred to as caped figure. 
uh, who was clearly Koopa, um, and then he ends up dying. Like the, the main difference was that in the movie they changed it to rather than a mysterious old guy, it's um, her mom, a mysterious sexy lady. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, so then I mean, in some ways, still pretty similar to the movie we got where we and meet. set in Brooklyn. That's what like yeah. these people were like. Mario and Luigi are from Brooklyn, obviously, and then everyone else was just like, well, obviously that's part of the source material. They're Italian. Where else would they <laughs> yeah. be from? Italian and American. Yeah, just the casual racism, like, ah, eh, Brooklyn, I guess. <laughs> and they just chug marinara sauce all day long. <laughs> they do eat spaghetti quite a bit, don't they? Um, but yeah, we're talking about before, so this is kind of the idea that, I mean, I guess him being a smiling idiot is maybe not a super appealing character but this kind of dynamic carries through then for all the movies the idea that mario their parents are dead mario has had to take care of luigi his whole life and run the business so he's like kind of surly and over serious and cares about money and luigi's just kind of like a fun loving younger guy who's just goofy Um, Although in the final movie, they kind of got rid of most of that dynamic. Like, mm-hmm. it's still like Mario Ray's Luigi, but now it's like there's no real tension about it no. whatsoever. Because <laughs> I think they were probably like, Mar- like, especially in this script, it's like Mario's kind of an unlikable asshole. Well, like, reading this yeah. one, I kind of almost thought, because yeah, it's like Mario's just a jerk who only cares about money. And Luigi's like this, you know, he is romantic and like he dreams of adventure. And I was like, I feel like Luigi should have been Mario and Mario, like this Mario could have been Luigi, Mario's jerk older brother, you know? Yeah, Yeah, it's funny how like both this script and the movie that eventually happened, Luigi is the one who you go on the journey with, really. Yeah, he's the one, even though, again... There's very little story in the first Super Mario Brothers. The only story that there is is that Mario is trying to save the princess. <laughs> and in this movie and in all the other ones, it's Luigi who yeah. gets the romantic interest, especially in this one. We'll see as we get further. Mario does not care about saving the princess. In fact, he's like, fuck her. Yeah, it's like a hundred times. He's just like, you know what? Let her die. I don't give a shit. Let's get back to plumbering. Yeah, where they like that's what I was talking about, where they keep where they just deliberately make the opposite choice. Than the one that seems obvious, because that's edgy. I guess that's what <laughs> I guess, Tim Burton would do. Um, <laughs> yeah, so Mario's kind of a jerk. Luigi head in the clouds, no sense of money. Um, so this is the last of the beginning of like Luigi screwing up their jobs and Mario being like, "Oh, you don't care about money." Uh, and then while he's yelling at Mario for not caring about money, Mar- Luigi gives a homeless guy money to show what a nice guy is and how yeah. unsympathetic Mario is. I was Mario's on Mario's also... side there. <laughs> yeah, because yeah, he like, gives away all his money and then turns around to Mario and be like, hey, can I borrow money? It's like, <laughs> why would I give you money at this point? Yeah. That's why I think your theory that maybe they did carry through the mentally challenged part. Yeah. All yeah, this maybe. makes a lot more sense. It's like of mice and men. Yeah, Mario um, has the burden of yeah. caring for <laughs> Luigi. Um. We also, in this, uh, another thing that gets kind of incrementally dropped more and more with each subsequent drafts, Mario's like real butthurt about his past romantic interests to the yeah. point where he basically never wants Luigi to find love or yeah. have a girlfriend. Yeah, he um, just hates all women. He's he's an incel, basically. Yeah, because well, yeah, well, well, we they learned- name his, uh, right? they, they name his, his ex. Brenda. Like, Brenda. Uh, well, in his, okay, I guess in his defense, uh, she ran away with the caterer three days before their wedding. That would 
I guess that would suck. Yeah, I guess. It's never happened to me. Um, in keeping with the final movie, it feels like his ex-girlfriend should have like had like a name from the game. Like, uh, who who was that character from like Mario uh, Two who like spits eggs at you? Oh, Birdo. Yeah, Birdo. <laughs> I'm renaming Brenda into Birdo. That she was like some weird bird or egg spitting creature. Hey, we never see her. She might be an egg spitting creature. Um, although speaking of names, though, this also again, Mario is not after the princess. It's Luigi, and the princess's name is Hildy. Which yeah. what the hell's that? I don't know where that came from. Um, she works in a flower shop in Brooklyn. Um, Luigi has a nightmare early on. Oh, in this one, so he's also like already in love with her. I think later yeah. movies made the deci- good decision of having Luigi and the audience meet her at the same time rather than he's mm-hmm. kind of been pining for her forever. He has a weird dream about her and the locket. Um, this one very much has the idea that there there is kind of a prophecy going on with them that I guess that speaks to how he's already dreaming about Koopa and this special locket. Oh, and this one too, I forgot about it because in the later, like in the movie, she has a special locket that she's just been wearing around her neck her whole life. Yeah. In this, the locket gets lost in the rain in the opening scene with the old guy. He drops yeah. it. So uh, she gets taken in by nuns. We don't know what happens to that. Another thing that this keeps from the other movies that, again, the, these guys must have just chosen not to get story credit. Uh, and this his name is Big Eddie, who's like the kind of mobbed up dude. Right. Um, and in the movie, it's Eddie Scapelli or something. Who's like more of like a rival in the movie, like who, who's like oh, a yeah, bigger businessman. Yeah, he business owns like man. a construction company. And a rival name, plumbing company that keeps yeah. stealing their business. His name was Eddie? I didn't even notice They that. might not have said Eddie. Again, this is a thing that gets mutated over yeah. the course <laughs> of the drafts as they're Frankensteining the movie together. Yeah. Well, so Big Eddie's just like In this he's full shark. on mob. Yeah, because yeah, yeah. Mario borrowed money from him without telling Luigi. Again, in Mario's defense, that Luigi doesn't care about the business yeah. Yeah. or Luigi's money. Luigi's useless. Why why would he tell him? Um, there's also a whole thing in this that we'll read. This will be first scene with you guys here. Oh. You're maybe in this too, Steve. Your one line. Right. Um, so this guy, this is setting up. So Mario, Mar- and this also Mario has big plumbing dreams. They're just kind of low-level plumbers, and he wants to take it up a notch. Yeah. And uh, let me take a drink of water here. So here, Mario has gone in to see. The city engineer, interior, city engineer's office. City engineer Ed Farley, 50s, is lining up a putt. His expensive set of golf clubs is in a $2,000 ostrich skin bag um, sitting in the corner. He glances up. Oh, like up. this guy. Yeah. Uh, wait, what was it? It's like a Paul Manafort I was going to say, didn't he have bag. an ostrich <laughs> Yeah, his ostrich jacket. Uh <laughs> Farley glances up, frowning, as Mario enters and dumps a stack of blueprints from his valise on Farley's desk. My revised plans. Farley goes back to his golf, ignoring Mario. Look, Farley, I'm sick of getting the runaround from you. Just look at these plans and give me the okay, okay? Mario, Mario, I can tell from here that they're uh, not going to work. He puts the ball into a cup, lines up another putt. What are you trying to do? Ruin me? I got a $10,000 retrofit job waiting on these plans. I don't deliver and I'm out of business. You know, Mario, the thing about golf is uh, if you want to play the game, you have to pay the right green fees, if you know what I mean. Yeah, I know what you mean. Farley smiles and nods. He puts the ball. Mario steps in the way, angrily kicking it aside. 
But I don't do that kind of business, Farley. I don't pay bribes. We got laws in this country. This is the U.S. of A. This is America. <laughs> no, Mario. This is Brooklyn. Now get out of here. <laughs> Mario grabs his plans from Farley's desk and stalks to the door. And don't come back until you're ready to cooperate, you greaseball shrimp. <gasps> Hand on the doorknob, Mario freezes, blood in his eye. He slowly turns back to Farley. There's one insult you don't use on Mario. Don't ever refer to his height. Excuse me? You call me something? What? Greaseball? No. The other thing. Farley's office window, outside. A golf ball comes sailing out, breaking the window. Beat, then the $2,000 ostrich skin bag and graphite shaft clubs crash (laughs) through the glass on their way to the street below. Exterior, brother's tenement. Luigi is balancing an empty uh, pop bottle on his nose to the delight of the neighborhood kids. The bottle falls, and he catches it. Whoa, don't want to break this. A genie could have lived in here. The kids all give derisive hoots. Okay, okay, wait. Story time. There once was this poor fisherman out in the ocean in this little boat. He throws his net out and he catches this old bottle. Uh, not this one. Similar. It had a screw top. Anyway, he unscrews the top and a big cloud comes out and it turns into a genie. Uh, Does the genie make him rich? <laughs> <laughs> nah, nah. This genie wants to kill the fisherman. You know why? The genie says, when I first got stuck in this bottle, I said, whoever releases me, I'll give him a bazillion dollars. But a hundred years went by and nobody found the bottle. So the genie said, whoever releases me now, I'll give him season tickets to the Knicks. Wow, season tickets! And parking, too. But still, nobody found the bottle. Now this genie's P.O.'d. He says, first guy I see when I get out of here, mm, bam, to the moon, Alice. And that means you, fisherman. But this poor little fisherman, he's smart. He plays an angle. He says... I don't believe you're really a genie. You're too big to fit in that little bottle. Oh, yes, says the genie. I'll prove it to you. So the genie shrunk down and went back into the bottle. The fisherman screwed the top back on and threw it back into the sea. So what's it all mean? It means no matter how big, how powerful the guy, you can always beat him with this. Taps his temple. New Angle shows Mario having just come up from the DWP office standing there listening to this. Only in fairy tales, kids. Not in real life. Not in Brooklyn. So remember that. This this sort of comes back. When I was reading this, actually, like I thought when he first said he was going to give them season tickets to the Knicks, I was thinking that was a punishment already. Yeah. <laughs> I was thinking of the modern-day Knicks, not the 90s Patrick Ewing Knicks. Yeah, was that supposed to be an upgrade from a bazillion dollars or a downgrade? I think, I think it was a downgrade, but it was an upgrade from uh, Pow to the Moon Alice. Yeah. Whereas now I think that would go in the other direction. <laughs> I feel like this thing about Mario being so short, too, is like they really thought it was Danny DeVito still at this point. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, well, Bob Hoskins is not super tall, but Danny DeVito would have really Danny DeVito is significantly shorter. Um, Yes, then uh, we start getting into things then. Uh, The bros get called to the church we saw at the beginning to fix uh, a flooding basement. And while they're down there, Luigi's kind of psychically drawn to and finds the ruby locket that was lost in the opening. Mario immediately brings it to a jeweler to try to, like, sell it. Uh, Somewhat unrealistically, the jeweler doesn't like the idea that Mario can't tell him where he got it. (laughs) Where's your certificate of authenticity, (laughs) sir? (laughs) It's like, Mario, just go to a pawn shop. What are you doing? Um, 
Luigi's mad. He's like, no, you can't sell that. You know, I had a magical dream about it or whatever. Yeah, that's, again, I'm just like, this guy, this Luigi guy, he's giving away all the money. They find <laughs> a valuable thing, and he's like, no, we can't sell it for reasons. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he didn't have the dream, and it is like, because Luigi's really like the, he's the hero of destiny here. Mario just happens yeah. to be but standing near him. he's not the main character, yeah. though, you're just like, you want Mario to Right. I, at least I wanted him to throttle him. He's just yeah. like, I'm, we're starving. I'm trying to run a business. Yeah, the taking, mob's going to kill us. Yeah, I'm taking care of you, you idiot. Um, uh, then we have kind of a weird scene here. So another thing that this keeps that then gets kind of reincorporated in a different way in the latter scripts and final movie is that when we first meet Koopa, uh, he just looks like a human. Um, yeah. And so, Pat, you're not in this scene. Well, you are. Are you ready? This is okay. Interior Flower Shop, where Hildy works. Oh, man. We see Hildy through the window. One thing I've learned from listening to audiobooks, the trick is when you're reading female part, just talk normal. Okay. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> audiobooks are always terrible Don't when it's like- Don't go ham with it. Yeah, just like, I'm a lady. <laughs> uh, we see Hildy through the window working. Camera angles to show the reflection of a man on the sidewalk staring at her. He is tall, powerful, oddly dressed, about 20 years behind the times, but there is something wicked lurking beneath the surface. Interior flower shop day. Hildy is getting some flowers out of the cooler. As she closes the glass, she sees the reflection of the man in the glass. Startled, she whirls to see Mr. Koopa at the counter. His manner is stiff, his movements wooden, artificial, like an alien trying to play a human. Did I startle you? Oh, oh, it's okay. I'm a little jumpy since I switched to decaf. She laughs. He doesn't, not getting the joke. Then taking her cue, he utters forced mechanical laughter. <laughs> she eyes him, thinking this guy is weird. Can I help you, sir? <laughs> I'm looking for a woman, Hildegard Smith. You from the lottery? No. Uh, never heard of her. You are Hildegard Smith. Okay, okay, look, if it's about those library books... You were left at St. Catherine's Church as a baby. You have a birthmark on your left arm, behind the elbow. Look, what do you want, Mr... He touches a rose in a display on the counter, admiring it. Koopa, what I want is to take you away from here. Really? That's great. I've been waiting for a guy just like you. Koopa grins, believing he's making a good impression. Tall creepy with a suit that went out in the Nixon administration. Now why don't you get you out? You don't of understand. I was hired by your parents. My parents are dead. No, they were kidnapped. You were kidnapped from them as a child. They are here in New York now. They want to see you. She stares at him, shocked by this news. His penetrating eyes bore into her. They are almost hypnotic. Now. Show me the mark. She holds out her left arm. He turns it over, and on the underside sees a birthmark that resembles an upside-down mushroom. Koopa's eyes gleam. At last, he has found her! Dun-dun-dun! And now, Mario goes to pay off Eddie with the locket. Stupidly, op- like, apparently he just put it in a bag and then walked away for several hours and then like went to go <laughs> deliver it to Eddie. Uh, and didn't check the bag again because it's not in there. And he's like, Luigi! <laughs> and we cut to Luigi, who is going to bring uh, the locket to Hildy. Uh, he's also bringing her a pizza and a box of chocolates. Okay, so he's just going to give this away. Again, I think your theory of a lower-functioning <laughs> brother makes all of this make way more sense. Um, 
He sees her with Mr. Koopa. Luigi shakes his hand, and for a split second, he like looks like a reptile hand, which reminds him of the nightmare he had, so he doesn't trust this guy. Uh, she's like, Mr. Koopa's taking me to meet my parents. Isn't that great? Luigi offers him a piece of pizza, and Koopa's like, I'm allergic to mushrooms. Take it away. <laughs> remember I, that. Yeah, remember <laughs> that for later in the movie. Um she goes with the Koopa, and then it's kind of this whole zany thing where Luigi's chasing after her. Mario is like, you know, I'm going to kill you, Luigi, and he comes running up, and so he's Luigi, so he's chasing after Luigi. Uh, Eddie is chasing after Mario because he didn't have the payment. So it's this whole like chain of people chasing each other, which leads up to a like weird diner that's just kind of like sitting mysteriously at the end of a long alley. They go into the diner. Mario like looks at the menu. The menu's full of things like frog kebabs, frog dogs, frog on a stick. No wonder this place is empty. <laughs> they, they, they were, they're going for like funny list, but it's this. It's just frog every time. Yeah. <laughs> Um, because that's all uh, reptiles. I eat? guess I, they only uh, eat frogs. They apparently. only eat frogs. No fly jokes. No. Um, they hear Eddie coming, so they see like a big pipe, and they go hide inside, and then they get sucked into the pipe. And I'll think this is maybe where we'll end part one of our three-part episode oh, on the man. crazy cliffhanger of the Mario Brothers getting sucked into a pipe. Whoa! What's gonna happen, They're you gonna guys? They're gonna drown in there. <laughs> that pipe doesn't lead to a mysterious other land. <laughs> oh man, I have no idea what's gonna happen next. Um, as we wrap things up. Pat, Alan, where can people find you on the social medias so they can tweet you angry things about how uh, you hate the Mario movie <laughs> and I, screwed up Sonic Boom? Uh, I'm on Twitter at uh, Pat underscore Casey with the letters Casey. It's a terrible Twitter handle. I'm uh, sorry, everyone. <laughs> um, and I'm on Instagram at Pat Casey Superstar. And everybody should go see the Sonic movie on February 14th. Perfect Ooh. Valentine's movie. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, wonderful date movie. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, you can find me on Twitter at Alan the Writer, A L A N the Writer. Um, I'm not on anything else. That's it. All right. And you can find us on Instagram at Best Movies Never Made and on Twitter at Never Made Film. Um, you should also check out. Wait, Mark, what's the. Wait, Mark's not back there. I forgot <laughs> the name of the app. Stir. Distro TV. Stir. That was the one. Stir and Distro TV. <laughs> um, if you want to see video of our podcast and Electric Surge Network's other podcasts, uh, and if you like our podcast, I highly recommend you check out the rest of our network. It's a lot of fun stuff. We've got the 430 Movie Podcast. Do you guys remember the 430 movie? No. No. I feel like this did not happen in Minnesota. Did they have it where you lived? I don't remember. Yes, they did, actually. For those who don't, the 430 yeah. movie, which was during the weekday, every day at 4.30 p.m., there was, like, a movie. Oh. And possibly, maybe they were themed all week long? I don't remember. Yeah, I, I saw Kingdom of the Spiders on there. William Shatner Empire classic. of the Ants. Yeah, they played all kinds of horror films. It was cool. But that is the theme of this yeah. fabulous other mm-hmm. podcast, uh, which is available every Friday. Um, we also have Inglorious Trexperts, which likes to hype itself as the only podcast for Star Trek fans with a life. Available every Saturday, wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, special thanks to Bill Ritter and everyone here at Electric Surge Network, including our producers Dean Devlin and Mark A. Altman. So until next time, when we talk about more Super Mario Brothers... This is Steven Scarlatta. And I am Josh Miller saying we won't see you at the movies.
This show is produced by Dean Devlin and Mark A. Altman and is an Electric Surge Network production.